My name's Andy, if you're new here, and I don't see anybody brand new here, so we probably, for the most part, know each other. But if you're new to the series, what we've been doing this summer is um, we've been going through the euangelion, the gospel, the good news, and uh, we've started with God's character. He is holy, just, and righteous, and we've taken three weeks to just kind of sit there Luke, thank you for bringing our attention to that. And um, we're going to leave that component of the gospel. We're going to go to the next component of the gospel, which uh, directs, Scripture directs its focus, if I can say, from God to man. I was laughing with some people earlier. Do you remember that Toby Keith song? I want to talk about me. I want to talk about, I want to talk about my, me, my, something. No, you don't. See, it's okay to talk about ourselves when we compare ourselves to one another. But Scripture does not compare me or Deontay or Lindsay or Adam to one another. It compares us to God and His standard. And uh, frankly, it's um, frightening would be a good word, discouraging would be a good word. And I've spent about two weeks now just kind of looking into the character of man. And I appreciated the song Nate picked, Jesus Paid It All. Um, last night, I was, this, this stuff was on my mind, what we're going to be talking about. And I, the Lord kind of brought that song to my mind. Um, I believe it was... Yeah, it's comforting. Jesus paid it all. Thank you, Lord. All to him I owe. <laughs> yeah. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And I was just kind of walking around the house singing that song a little bit. It was just a time of like private worship. Man, I needed that. Because when we look at our own character, it's bleak. So, if we were to read the little red label at the bottom of tonight's devotional, the warning label, um, like we look at God's character, and you're like, "Wow, that's awesome! I love looking at the holiness of God, and thinking about the the, the, the seraphs and how they're worshiping Him and His perfect justice, perfect righteousness." And we look at Scripture and we think, "Man, I just don't get it. I don't get the full extent of God's character." And I think the same, I believe the same is true of man. We don't get the extent of our lostness. Um, The gospel, I mentioned the euangelion. What's that mean? The good news. The euangelion, the good news, the gospel. Why is it called the the good news? Really good news? If If it were really the good news... Really? How would you be acting? Wouldn't you be jumping up and like telling people about the good news? Could, could you keep it in if it was good news? Have you ever seen anybody win money on a game show? Uh, how long ago, Jen, was that that we were on AFV? Ten years? Seven years? We were on America's Funniest Home Video seven years ago. We got second place. And the people who got first place, they won the ten grand. Um, 
They go, and the winner is, I forget, um, some dad on a roller coaster. And the family's like, Bleh! And the, the director comes out, no lie, and he's like, cut, cut. That wasn't, that wasn't good. You just won 10 grand. You need to act more excited. We're going to redo that again? And the family's like, <laughs> and we're going to do that again, and this time, like, we want you to act more excited. So he's like, all right, that's a go. And they went through it again. And that's a true story. And I think sometimes with the gospel, we need to be like, nah, cut, 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 cut. Don't you realize what you've been saved from? We need to do this again. Maybe that's what tonight is. Don't you realize? Like, what if I was to walk up to, to Lindsay and give her this glass of water? But I wouldn't, and see, and she just kind of sits there. But what if she was in the desert? She would beat me up for this glass of water. <laughs> like, if it was a matter of life or death, like, she would do whatever it took to get a sip of water, right? What if I was to walk up to Adam? Now it's just to jiggle keys around him. And you're like, all right, Andy, that's kind of weird. But what if Adam had been locked in prison for 15 years? And I had the keys right here. And all he had to do was reach through the bars to get them. And he could finally go home. He would go berserk to go after these keys, to go after that water. That's the gospel. It's good news. And I think a lot of times we don't, like the psalmist says, like a deer panting after water, we forget that the gospel is good news. We forget that we were, maybe some of you are, prisoners of sin. We forget that without water, what did Christ say? He said, I am the living water. Come unto me, all you who thirst, and I will give you water. We forget that we are famished for water. We're dying without this water. And we forget that it's good news. Even as Christians, we have forgotten who we were. I need a good reminder every once in a while. Tonight will be discouraging. It was discouraging talking about this, or studying this. It's discouraging thinking about who I was before Christ rescued me. And how I counseled myself, that's what I do. Like, I get discouraged, and I'm like, no, this is true, Andy. That's who you were, but you're not that way anymore. How I counseled myself is this way. And it's every time I get discouraged with sin, I would counsel you to do the same thing. To him who has been forgiven much, what does he do? He loves much. This is an, when we look at this, it's an opportunity to love Christ more. Um, for him, uh, where sin abounds, what else abounds? Grace even still. Grace even more. This is an opportunity to exalt grace and to love Jesus. But we're going to just pause on the sinfulness of man. Because here's what we do as Christians. 
We love talking about the holiness of God, things of the Lord. We love talking about the cross. And we like meditating on the cross. But we breeze over our condition. Just like we kind of throw out words like God's holy. We throw out words like, I'm, I'm a sinner. Do you ever do that? Yeah, I'm a sinner. I mean, what else is there to it? Aren't we all sinners? But when you start studying what the scripture says, that you are a sinner and what that means, it is humbling. Um, so I don't want to just breeze over it. Um, if you don't speak of sin, if you are sharing your faith with somebody, and that's a lot of the motivation for this summer series, is we want to talk about the Lord. We want to see people come to know the Lord. But if you don't talk about sin, what do you do to the gospel? What do you do? Chase, what is one thing that happens to the gospel when we breeze over sin? Why did Christ have to die? Like, it cheapens the cross. What does it do to the holiness of God if we breeze over sin? What's it do? Stephanie. Oswell, where are you? There you are. What does it do to the holiness of God when we just breeze over sin? Yeah. If God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all, and I make my darkness don't seem that dark, what does it do to the light? It diminishes it. it. It takes down and constricts the holiness of God. What does it do to a just God if I don't look that sinful? It makes Him not that just, maybe unjust. Really, God, you're going to do that to that person? They're pretty good. What does it do to the righteousness of God? He's no longer righteous. If you just breeze over that the condition of man, you don't have the gospel. You got a fairy tale. You got a neat story. It it's like Christmas or something. Like well, when I say Christmas, I mean Santa Claus. Like that. It's just a, it's a neat thing for kids. Unless you talk about, no, this is who you are without Christ. Um, why? Here's a question. Why don't we speak of sin? Maybe one person. Why is it uncomfortable to talk about sin, even as a Christian? I don't like talking about my sin. Even more so, if I don't know you that well, I'm going to have a hard time talking about your sin. Why is that? Pride? What do you mean? Yeah. Yes. Why else? Shame. What do you mean? Yeah. I agree with you. You know what sin does to us? It makes you seem like you're the only one. It, it, it shames you, and it should, but it says you're the only weird one out there. Everybody else has got it together. So we don't talk about it. Um, fear of man, it's uncomfortable, and I think we don't get it. We just kind of gloss over it.
We don't get how sinful we are. Um, if we're going to speak of sin, how are we to do it? If you're going to talk about somebody, about their sin, how are you going to do it? How shouldn't you do it? Any ideas? How should you not do it? Condemning? Okay. Not flippantly. Any other? Okay, let's, let's reverse that. How should you? In the back? Word of God would be... Yeah. If you're angry with me tonight about what we say, you've got to realize you're not angry at me. You're angry with God, and I just got in the way as you punched. You see what I'm saying? Um, all sin is anger towards God. And uh, we're afraid to, to say things that would step on people's toes, but you've got to realize that if it's what God says, take yourself out of the equation. If you're angry with me tonight, it's not, these are not my thoughts. This is what God's word says. You're angry with God. That's intense. Because we, we like to take, no, no, no. I'm not angry with God. Just you, Andy. But that's not what David said. He committed adultery, but he got it. He sinned against Bathsheba, but he, what did he write in the Psalms? Against you and you alone, Lord, have I sinned. You see, he got it. He realized that his adultery was anger and rebellion against God because he knew what was the right thing to do. And it just so happened that sin also affected this woman and her husband. But it was against, first and foremost, the Lord. Um, how are we to do it? Uh, three weeks ago, this is how I think we're supposed to do it. Three weeks ago, Rhett was walking on our porch, and he had a big old splinter in his heel. And he came, to, he came to Cross Life, and Jen brought a needle with her and Rhett. And while you guys were studying on the tables, I was downstairs with Rhett on another table, and I had him down, and I had his foot kind of hanging out the back. And he's like, no, Daddy, no. I'm like, I got my game face on, and I'm working on his foot, because I want that splinter out. Why? Because if it stays in there, it could get, it could get infected. Like, sharing sin with people is like that. They're going to be like, no, no, I don't want, that's not me. You don't get it. I don't want to hear that. But you will hold them down and talk about them because you love them. I love my son too much for him to get a splinter infected in his foot and for it to go septic and he gets a really bad infection. And even though he's going to cry and squirm and scream, I'm going to hold on tight. And I'm going to do my best to get it out because I know the consequences. I think that's how we need to share sin. We need to, to speak the truth in love. Here's a good verse for you to hang on to. Proverbs 27.6 Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Listen to that. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. If you love a person, you will tell them the truth. Even if it hurts. Why? Because you do not want it to go to the extent to where it could kill them, to where eternally they're dead. 
you will do whatever it takes. And if you love them, you'll tell them. Now, if you don't tell people about sin, if I go up to Adam, and I know that he needs the Lord, but I am scared to tell him about sin, I just love him, and I don't want him to be offended. That's what we say on the outside, but you know what our heart's saying? Truth is, is I love me. In fact, I love me so much that I don't want Adam to think bad of me. And I'm going to protect beloved me, and I won't tell him the truth. So I'll let Adam die in his sin, because I love me. That's what our, that when we don't tell the whole gospel, that's what we do. We are loving ourselves more than we love people. We need to think about that. We need to pray that God would give us a love for other people. So much so that we would be okay with faithfully bruising them up a little bit. Um, let's look at sin. Let's look at man. You see, I think one of the things we do is when we think of the character of man right away, we're like, man is a sinner, right? But that's not the way it always was. Um, Genesis 2.7. God formed man from what? From the dust. He breathed into his nostrils, breathed into the dust. Man came alive. What does that make man? It makes him a creation. Man is created by God. Listen to these verses. Deuteronomy 10.14 Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth and all that is in it. Psalms 24.1, the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the world and all those who dwell in it. Romans 20.21, but indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have the power over the clay? You know what this means? This is something that we do not like. It means you're owned. You think that as people, we get, especially in our culture, we think that we are autonomous. And we think that we are individuals and we take pride in... Um, I heard somebody uh, yelling at someone to encourage him. He's like, believe in yourself, man. Believe in yourself. That is the biggest lie. That you are accountable to no one. That you are an individual all by yourself doing your own thing. God says, the earth is the fullness. The earth and its fullness, they're all mine. You're owned. You're a created being. You can't just do whatever you want. You're, that also means you're accountable. This is the foundation for really what we're going to say the rest of the evening. You're not your own guy. I mean, think about that. We're like ants on an anthill. Millions of ants. I'm going to do whatever I want. Come on, Really? You're not that important. You're not all by yourself doing your own thing. You are one little person among billions. And you're owned and you're accountable to the, per, to the, to the one who created you. That, let's just set the stage. We're all kind of on the same plane now. A bunch of little ants running around. Scripture calls us clay, dirt, mud. Secondly, Genesis one twenty six, 
Then God said, let us make man an image. Let us make man in our image. And so he made them male and female. And in the likeness, made him of his own image. I think one of the most amazing things about man, one that stands apart from all the other created things, is he's made in the image of God. I got this from a commentary Bible. It says, this defines man's unique relationship to God. Man is a living being capable of embodying God's communicable attributes. Reason, intellect, will, emotion. It does not mean that God has four arms and legs and a nose. It means that God is a thinking being. So are you. God has a will. So do you. God expresses emotion and intellect and reason. So do you. You are a created being, owned and accountable to God, and you were made in His image. Number three, if this is true, what is, what is your purpose? That's a huge question. Everybody's trying to figure out what in the world am I supposed to be doing in life? What is your purpose? Well, you're in the image of God. You are made for Him. You are made by Him. Your purpose is to reflect the image that you are in. Ecclesiastes 12.13 says, This is the end of man. You ready? Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all. Fear God. What does that mean? Obey Him. Worship Him. Live for Him. And keep His commandments. Obey Him. That's what you're to do. You're to bear the image and bear it well. Think, now think about this. All of created things do a very good job of obeying the Creator. How do, how do birds give God's glory? Jennings, what do you think? How does a bird give God's glory? He tweets. He goes around flying and tweeting and eating worms. Austin, how does water give God glory? It holds up ships. It's a home for the animals. It's life-sustaining. It's, it's an illustration of who Christ is, living water. Wow, that's awesome. How, does, um, how do trees, how do they give glory to the Lord? What do you think, Deontay? You go outside and you sit a little tree by Grace Bible Church. How does he give him glory to the Lord? Being a tree. Whatever trees do, bearing leaves, bearing fruit, growing strong. Okay, what does man do? Man, man is also a creation, just like the tree and the water. Here's what man does. I'll do whatever I want to do. How about that? Yeah, the birds can tweet and you can do this, and, but I'm going to do what I want to do. Isn't that amazing? Us little creatures... Shaking our fist at the Lord, saying, I'll do whatever I want to do. Um, what happened? What in the world happened? Genesis 3. I believe everybody here knows the story. The fall. God says, do not eat of the fruit. You eat of the fruit, and in the day you eat of the fruit, you will die. And Satan comes along. And he tells them the truth 
but not the whole truth. And he says, you will surely not die. You will be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. That's true. You will know good and evil. Because if you look at the next chapter over, what does God say? Now, what are we to do with man? He knows good and evil, like us. You see, the difference is, is that man, when he knows good and evil, can do nothing but be overcome by evil. God, when he knows and is intimately acquainted with good and evil, can do nothing but overcome evil. He is light. What happens to darkness in the presence of light, it's gone. What happens to, the, to man in the presence, he's overcome by it. Why? Because holiness comes from the Lord alone. We do not exude holiness We do not exube anything but what is given by the Lord. Not even heaven and his throne, Job says, do I take pleasure in. Not even the angels. Why? Because the Lord is the only being who is light, is holy. We just are overcome by it. And that's what happened the whole way back in Genesis 3. They were overcome. They fell into sin. Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as, though, as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. And here's, here's what we'll say, and you'll hear this. People will say, and it sounds, they think it sounds like a fairy tale, that, yeah, but I'm a pretty good person. I, I, really? You believe in Adam and Eve and all that stuff? Well, yeah, I do. Well, why do I have to pay for Adam's sin? You see, what they're not getting is that when Adam, in Adam, when he sinned, it spread to all man. And we have a problem with that. What we don't have a problem with that is in in Christ, we can reconcile many men. We don't have a problem by being represented by Christ, but we do have a problem by being represented by by Adam. You see that? And I can prove that you're represented by Adam. Paul proves it. What does he say? Therefore, just as through one man entered the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all men. So far, every man but one man has suffered the curse of, of sin, death. It's, I mean, it's still happening. That's the proof. How do, you, how do I know that I've been affected by Adam? I'm getting older, and I can feel it. Just a couple weeks ago, there was a fella who was friends of people who... Some of you, 21, died, suffering the curse ever since Adam spread. It's in your DNA. Um, Psalms 51.5, what does Adam say? What What does David say? I was conceived in sin. Even babies? I'll tell you one thing. Nobody ever taught my kids, how to sin. Nobody ever taught you how to sin. They may have taught you how to, they may have helped you along the way, but nobody ever taught a baby to get angry. And and kids are actually, they're a really interesting thing to think about because kids have not learned the wickedness of restraining sin yet. Thank the Lord they're not strong. If if a one-year-old was as strong as Deontay, he would, he would kill you. Because what a baby will do is if he wants something, 
he will do everything it takes to get it, and he will be angry. Imagine if he was as strong as an adult. You see, we learn this wickedness as we get older in our sin. We mature in our sin called restraint and hiding it in our heart. I don't do a quarter of the things I think about. You get that? I hide it. I've learned to mask my sin so that you think I'm a good guy. And so that I can say, really, I'm not that bad. Look at me. But inside, if I were judged for my intent, man, it'd been over a long time ago. Um, I lost my train of thought. That's right. How can we prove this? How can we prove that man's not getting better? What happens when tragedy takes over? What happens when people are starving? What happens when um, there's some sort of catastrophe and there's a shortage of food? All of a sudden, we, we lay down our barriers and we let see what is inside of us. And I, just like Lindsay would probably beat a person up for a glass of water, watch a man drowning. He would take down three men to save his own life. It's just his nature. He would do whatever it takes, even if it means killing people, and that's what happens, because he wants to survive. It's in your nature. When, when, when the pressure's on, the restraints are off. And it started the whole way back David says, even when I was conceived, away from Adam. This is an old problem. Do you see that? Um, What does sinner mean? What does it mean that you're a sinner? We said that, yeah, I'm a sinner. But what does that mean? Hamartes, sin. It means to intentionally miss the mark. Some of the people a long time ago said um, to have want or conformity of something other than what God wants. So, if this is the target, and I get an arrow, that's sin. To intentionally miss that target. If God says, hit the target, all right, (laughs) that's sin. You want to see it? Here's an example. Call a little kid to you. Come here. And they'll, they'll go, that's sin. That's intentionally missing the mark. That's what sin is. It's not, it's, it's not like, if, if, if you come out to my house recently, I've really been into throwing knives lately. I found three throwing knives in the barn. And like, as soon as company comes over, I'm like, come on. And we're, we'll, we'll chuck these knives, and I miss, and I miss, and I'm trying, and I'm trying, and I'm trying. That's not sin. Now, in the Old Testament, there were in unintentional sins that they, were, that they would make sacrifices for. And there are things that I, whoops, that slipped out. But the truth is, is that my sin is intentional. It's not, man, Lord, how can you blame me for an accident? No, it wasn't an accident. You didn't slip. You wanted it. Adam wanted it that apple. Did you ever think about, well, that's another, we'll keep going. 
we're going to be looking at three different things that sin makes us. Um, debtors, enemies, and criminals. Then we'll break up into groups. Sin, R.C. Sproul puts it this way. Sin is cosmic treason. With the smallest sin, we defy God's right to rule and reign over his creation. Every time we sin, what we're saying to God is, I want you off the throne. I know that you have said this, but I don't care, and I want me on the throne because maybe I think I know better, or maybe I just want what you have. Sin is cosmic treason. We want the Creator off the throne to have rule over our lives. I'll never forget what my, I asked my science teacher about something about, the, about God. And she said, besides, imagine the can of worms that would open. And it's true. If God is on the throne, we've got problems because I'm accountable to him. And we have been going against him. And that's a can of worms that, we don't, that man does not want to get into. The first thing that I'll bring out, the first of three, and there's more, that sin makes us, is Matthew 6, 12. Jesus introduces it when he said in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts. Do you remember that? Forgive us our debts as we forgive those, what is it, who are indebted to us. That's the pattern. We've been forgiven a debt. Um, another place, Romans eight twelve, says, We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Who were we debtors to? Who were we in debt to? We're in debt to God. We're not in debt to the flesh. We're in debt to God. He is the creator, and we are in debt to live according after him. Not after ourselves. Um, what is the debt? We stated before that God is the creator. And he owns and has all authority to impose anything he desires on us. What do we owe God? This is what he asks us. Obey me. We are indebted to obey him. You know what sin does? Sin says, no, I'm not going to obey you. Sin is debt. And he doesn't just require, like, half-hearted obedience. He requires full, holy, devoted obedience to him. Be holy as I am holy. Why would he do that? Why would God put that big a debt on me? Because if he put, if he accepted just a little bit of darkness into his holiness, would he be holy? No. He would compromise his character. So therefore, he imposes on you a debt. And he says, you must obey me fully. Um, If I give Adam six bucks, I'm not going to. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) If I were to give Adam six bucks, how much does he owe me? Five. It's a good answer for a sinner. Good answer. How much, if we are given, if we have a debt, how much do we owe? 
We owe all of it. It's not paid until it's fully paid. If we do not give God everything that is owed to him, it's debt. What does that make God? It's justice. Makes him unjust. It's also called grace. But God has a way of dealing with that. But right now, it's injustice. You owe it all. If you don't pay it all, and I allow a little bit, $5 of the debt into that, it's not paid. A little bit of dirt into perfect purity is dirty. If I were to give you a water with just a little bit of poop in it, would you drink it? No. It's got to be wholly pure. If you had, if, if you're not going to squeeze a little bit of darkness into holy presence, God must be holy, he must be just, and he is all pure. And the debt must be wholly paid. Without it, he compromises his character, and he cannot do that. We owe obedience. Um, this is what Jesus said. Love the Lord your God with what? All your heart. The whole thing. Not half-heartedly. With all of it. Second thing. Man has an, an impossible debt. We cannot pay this. Cannot pay it all. The second thing that sin makes us is enemies. There's this, there's this idea that we have that somehow me and God are chill. You know? We're okay. Right? right? I mean, come on. I'm pretty good. People have said this before. Like, you know, God, Jesus is my homeboy. Really? He's your homeboy. Like, we get this idea that me and God are on okay terms. And when, when we get to the pearly gates, we're going to kind of sort it out. Man, that is a lie. That's a, that's a total lie. That somehow, me and God are okay, and we'll be able to reason it out. If you think that, you don't get sin. This is what um, Scripture says, Romans 8. We can go there. It's a little bit too long to write in my notes. Romans 8, 6. For to be carnally minded... Does any other translations have a different word there? Set on the flesh, a mindset in the flesh. For, for a mindset in the, in the flesh, for to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That word enmity, that's a strong word. Because we look at sin as not that bad. Scripture says that the carnal mind, the natural man's mind, is enmity. It's, it's hatred. Did you ever think about that? Your sin, that you're, you're like, really don't want to, it's hating God. God sees it as, it's hatred. Um, What does this mean? Sin manifests in the mind. That's where it starts. Remember what James said? And when sin is conceived, when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. Like, 
it, it starts up here. We have a desire, something, a lust, an anger, some sort of sin. And maybe it gets fleshed out and maybe it doesn't. But that sin that is in the mind is what it is saying is, you know, I know God says that we should love other people like we love ourselves, but I can't stand that girl. Or that guy really irks me. God says that is enmity and hatred. Because you say that you're going to obey You see that I am holy and I've told you what to do. As my creator, I have that right. And I've told you what to do. But just for this, you're giving yourself an out. And you have eclipsed me. And you have um, usurped me. You've made yourself an enemy. It started up in the mind. Um, When sin, anger, selfishness pops in the mind... It's animosity towards a holy God. Think about that when you're wrestling with sin. I am wrestling with hating God. That's a different way to think about it. What is one of the most despised enemies that you can think of? It's a person who you have treated well, who you have done good things to, and they turn their back on you, and they they stab you in the back. Do you remember the name Benedict Arnold? Famous traitor. He, um, and I just did a very brief reading on him. He's an American general during the Revolutionary War that changed sides from America to Britain. Why? Probably a number of reasons. He was bitter because he had peers who were being upranked faster than him. Two, it was something about money. So we switched sides. To this day, we can't, he is, his name is like Judas. He's a turncoat because he was treated so good And he turned sides. Let me ask you this. What has God ever done but good? All he has ever done has been good. Has he ever cheated you? Absolutely not. Has he ever wronged you? Absolutely not. Has he ever set a promise and broken it? Absolutely not. Everything he's done has been pure and holy and just and righteous. Let's turn to James 4. James 4, 1. We'll start. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they they not come from your desires? Where's the desires spark from? The mind. From the desires for your pleasure that warn your members, you lust and you do not have. You murder and you covet and you cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss or for the wrong reasons, that you may spend it on yourselves. Verse 4, adulterers and adulteresses. Turncoat. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity, it's hatred with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit that dwells in us yearns jealously? jealously. You see, what God has done to you is good. I mean, you go the whole way back to creation. It's been good. And man has desired the things of this world. And you go throughout scripture, and who do you see as the ruler of the world? 
ruler of this world is Satan. Jesus says it, I think, three or four times. We have taken up sides against God. That's what our sin is. It's, take, it's, it's leaving a good God and saying, I think I'll join this guy against you. And I know what you have is good, but the world is giving me things that I want. And so, go, so God, I'm going to take up sides against you. God says, God opposes the proud. It's, that's a war term. He puts up a barrier and says, uh-uh, you can come no closer. You are my enemy. That's intense. I thought God loved everyone. We're going to get to that next week. God opposes the proud. Sin makes us enemy. The last thing. Sin makes us criminals. Um, To help us get God's holiness, to help us get man's sinfulness, God gave us the law. And the law, Romans says, is just, holy, and righteous. In, in your, your quiet time this week, I'd really recommend you read uh, right around Romans 3 to 7. I spent a lot of time in that lately. And I think as we, if you, as you're talking to people and sin comes up, one of the main purposes of, this, of the law is to display his holiness to display your sinfulness. In fact, Romans seven thirteen says, the sinfulness of sin. It's not just sin, it's sinful. If you want to get a license, you want to drive a car, what do you have to do? You've got to get a book, and you've got to take a test, and the book has all these rules in it. You know, take the stop sign, stop here, don't roll through it. <laughs> Use your turn signal. Um, You've got to obey all the rules all the time. All the time. If you, if you say, well, you know, I think I'll obey some of the rules and feeling like I'm driving the left side of the road today, so I'm going to drive on the left side of the road today, you're going to get pulled over and ticketed, or you're going to get in an accident. Like, if you want to drive a car in this country, you must abide by all the rules. And that's the exact same, that's a good illustration of God's law. If you want to be right with God in the flesh, here's your chance. There's 613 commandments that Moses gave to Israel. David in the Psalms took it down to 10. Nahum took it down to 1, that just shall live by faith. Jesus highlighted 2, okay? You want to live right before the Lord in the flesh? Here's what you do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And the second's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two things hang the whole law, all 613, and the prophets. And here's the truth. You have never one day of your life kept them, those two commandments, not one day, not even right now. You are sitting here and you are not loving the Lord your God in the flesh with all your heart. You could love him more, couldn't you? Yeah. So you're less than standard? Yeah. Is that a holy standard? No. If the just, if God is creator and he is the judge of the world, 
He has a right to give the law to the world, and it's just. We have, sin has caused us to break that law. It makes us criminals. James 2.10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law, yet stumbles in one point, is guilty of it all. Galatians 3 says, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. If you're going to keep God's standard, you have to keep it perfectly, and you have to keep it all of your days from day one until you're dead. And the law says you can't do it. The law brings a curse. And the third thing the law does is it, well, the first, shows God's holiness. Second, shows you are not. And at third, it confirms who Christ is. What did Christ say? I did not come to abolish the law, but to what? To fulfill it. Christ kept it perfectly. Confirmed who Christ was. Because you can't do it. Um, we'll close with... Uh, uh, let, me, let me read to you Romans 3.19. I forget the guy's name again. Um, who, who uses the Ten Commandments as a witnessing tool? Ray Comfort, thank you. There's a lot that, that's very biblical to use God's law to expose sin. Romans, check out Romans 3. Because we can, we can hem and haw and talk about how good we are all day if we compare one another. Here's what Romans 3 says, Romans 3.19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who were under the law, that every mouth may be stopped. You've got nothing more to say. That every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. That's what the law does. We have broken it again and again and again. We are, cannot reach a holy standard. I haven't even mentioned the things of sin where um, we're called rebels. I haven't even mentioned we're called Slaves, you read First John, you know what sinners are? They're called sons of Satan. I, I have not even mentioned those. Really? Read, read, read there. That's, an, that's, that's intense. Sin is a big deal. And um, we're going to stop right there. Next week, we're going to talk about sin must be punished and God's punishment. We're going to work through that. And uh, what we'll do now is uh, let's break up into our small groups. Break up into our small groups. We're going to look individually at, some, at what Scripture says. And I challenge you, and it'll be hard to meditate for this next week on you and who God says you are. If you don't have sheets, we have some extras. We have little commentaries set up for you. You can stick in your Bible and pens. And then uh, at about 3.35... We will, I'm dyslexic, 8.35, 8.35, we will break and um, we'll close with some singing together. Let's go ahead and uh, split up into different tables, take your chairs on back.